Welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast series, brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance, LLC. Discussing your life as a medical coder, offering coding tips and advice for coding students and professionals. Join us every Monday. Hello, and welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast series. My name is Jennifer McNamara, and our program is brought to you today from your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance, LLC. And our goal is to bring you timely industry topics in the field of health information management, as well as tips for work-life balance. If you're a first-time listener, we thank you for listening today. And if you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We have a disclaimer for you today that our podcasts are not to be taken as legal or professional advice. Uh, The podcast series is based on my 19 years of experience in the coding and billing industry, and my goal is always to share with you what I've learned and why I love this industry. Today is Monday, April 26th. I hope you're enjoying this beautiful weather. I live in the Ozarks in Northwest Arkansas. It's a beautiful area, and the community that I live in has a lot of lakes and walking trails, hiking trails. A lot of bike riders come here to, to get the, on the trails. And of course, it's a home of Walmart. So we, we know that that's a, a great thing that Walmart's brought to our area. It's a lot of these beautiful hiking trails and, and places to enjoy life. So I'm going to get out later and I'm going to enjoy uh, my neighborhood and enjoy my area. I hope you're getting out too. It's, it's a beautiful day to be out. So uh, today we're going to talk about common GI billing mistakes. Of course, for those of you unaware, GI stands for gastroenterology, and that is, of course, the study of diseases that affect the body uh, from the top to the bottom, right? All of the organs from the digestive process, from the time we swallow our food to the time we release that food. So it's a lot of things can go wrong and a lot of organs are involved. And so we're going to talk about some of the billing errors today, not necessarily coding, We will touch on some of those coding aspects as they relate to billing. Now, gastroenterology is one of the highest volumes uh, for ambulatory surgery centers. So those outpatient facilities that are geared just to outpatient services of procedures, right? Surgeries. Of course, um, a lot of GI procedures can be performed in the inpatient setting in the hospital. Um, If a consulting physician comes in and decides, right, that he's going to perform a procedure on the GI tract, Uh, while he is seeing that patient. During COVID-19, we've seen a lot of things can happen in the GI tract because of the disease. So we have seen an increase, an uptick, right, in some of these GI procedures. The first aspect of billing that I'm going to talk about today is modifiers. Modifiers are so important. Uh, They are probably one of the most misunderstood items on a billing claim, right? And those of you who heard me speak at HealthCon in Dallas this year, that was the subject of my presentation modifiers and the global billing process. We don't deal with globals too often uh, with um, GI. They do, of course, have a global uh, period, most of them of zero days, which means you can see the patient um, order that that day and the next day bill an E&M service because it only has a zero day global, the day of the service. So that means anything after that day is billable again. We don't have a waiting period, right, to bill our E&M services. But our modifiers that we typically see, of course, sometimes we have to perform multiple procedures, right? So we either have our 51 modifier, which, of course, some payers don't accept. So you do have to check your payer guidelines. And then the 59, 
and the X modifiers. So the 59, of course, uh, CPT def definition is a distinct procedural service to show that these procedures were distinct from each other, right? In some way, normally they would be bundled, something similar about them, right? But in our circumstance, we're telling them something is different this time, whether it's a different session that day, a different uh, procedure itself, different site or organ system, separate incision or excision, a separate lesion or a separate injury, to name a few. So read the list in your CPT appendix. Get to know the definition. Uh, CMS, especially if you're billing for one of their um, insurance companies that follow their guidelines, especially Medicare, if you're billing for Medicare, you want to make sure you understand their guidelines. And they have a wonderful 59 fact sheet that is very helpful in understanding the nuances of this modifier. So in some instances, it's best to use other modifiers. So we want to be clear to only use 59 if it's kind of like what a last resort. There are other things that can identify a reason why we would build two procedures other than the 59. But we also have, of course, these X modifiers, right, that Medicare has brought onto the scene uh, in recent years. And they just further classify the 59, right? They break it up, right? So it's going to further tell the insurance company XS. It was a separate site, right? An XU, unusually overlapping service. So that kind of is our catch-all for other items that 59 describes. Or maybe it was a separate practitioner. Sometimes another physician comes in and does a procedure. Maybe it's a repeat procedure, um, or maybe it's a different procedure that same day, a continuation of that. But we have to report that 59, a modifier with the X modifiers now, because it specifically refers to the element of another procedure being done by a different provider or the same provider. So we have to understand the little nuances, the purpose of these modifiers. And if you would like more information about the, the use, intended use of the X modifiers, I currently um, always advise uh, my listeners and my students to get on your local uh, Medicare regional contractors' websites. In my area, it's Novitas, so it's always a good idea to get out there on the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, the CMS website, and locate your region and the website that they would give you those guidelines for, your area. They always have their own interpretation and their own guidelines sometimes um, within CMS guidelines on the per preferred use of those modifiers. Now, another thing that we see is upcoding. There seems to be a lot of, you know, increased use in this, which means we're we're building something uh, that is not necessarily documented. Maybe we're trying to bill more than we did because we maybe don't understand maybe the uh, the code guidelines or the description of the code as much. But we th we think okay, we're doing this and we're doing this. We're going to bill all these codes, right? That sometimes can be the case. And so there has been an increase in this, uh, not only with procedures, but also with evaluation and management procedures. And so when the 2021 guidelines came out and the physicians were, of course, so confused, right? And we are continuing to have to educate and, and kind of alleviate some of that tension, some of that confusion in the office and realize that it's all about medical necessity now. So we need to be clear on the upcoding and we're the level upping, right? Upping our level because we think it's more of a high risk versus a low risk. So we have to get to know those guidelines. Um, so we avoid the upcoding, right? And are we really looking at our CPT updates every year? Are we looking at the changes? 
within GI, over several years, we've seen a lot of new codes added, some deleted, some revisions to the text and descriptions so we can better understand how to build them. So I recommend always looking at your CPT updates every year. If you're not doing that, um, you are missing reimbursement opportunities or maybe billing incorrectly, misunderstanding um, some of the interpretation of those codes. And so it's always important. And especially that NCCI manual, the National Correct Coding Initiative that Medicare puts out every year, they give them us their bundling edits, all of the things that, that we need to know for a certain part of the body. There is a specific chapter within those guidelines for the GI procedures. So it's always a good idea to get to know them because the GI tract includes procedures that we might do open, right? They may do an incision to open the patient. They also may do a endoscopy where they put the scope in either the mouth um, or uh, through the colon, uh, the bottom, right? And so we need to be aware of the bundling guidelines, what we can build together, what we cannot. And it's so important. And I come from you know, being a receptionist, that was my first job in healthcare, I understand that understanding a patient's benefits is so important. That's the next thing I want to talk about. Do you understand your patient's benefits? Now, ultimately, uh, we understand it's a patient's responsibility, right, to understand their benefits. So when they come into the office and our physician tells us that we're going to be scheduling a colonoscopy or we're going to be scheduling something that requires verification of benefits, we need to be aware as well, the patient's responsibility, because we have to explain to them some of those little nuances, why we're charging them this much, or if the claim is denied because we tried to bill it as a screening, but they don't have those coverage benefits because of their age, right? We need to make sure they fully understand. And so doing that verification of eligibility, um, doing that you know, uh, benefit verification, uh, we always want to make sure we have some little forms, right, or informational um, pamphlets that are available to our patients that explain what their responsibility is and let them know ahead of time if they're going to have a screening procedure or a procedure that truly relies on their age and the insurance requirements that they understand their out-of-pocket expenses that could be incurred if they don't meet the qualifications for a free screening. And then documentation and medical necessity. It's really the, the the be all, right, guys? It's it. It's what we need to justify payments. Physicians need to think about accurate documentation and they need to think about that medical necessity. This comes into play a lot with CMS, Medicare, because they have what's called the local coverage determinations. When I am looking into doing my esophageal procedures, um, coding those, I have to always check my payer because CMS does have local coverage determinations and some payers do follow that. So they put out this list, right? And you type in the procedure code and it shows a policy and you click on the policy and it tells you all of the diagnosis codes or reasons that a procedure uh, can be approved for reimbursement. If there is a policy out there for your codes and you're not checking those, you're going to start seeing denials when you have the wrong diagnosis build. Nothing you can do about it after the fact, right? Because you've already billed it. But it's always a good idea to get out there and review those policies. Get to know what you do regularly. Is there a policy in your area? I've coded for uh, different states in the past remotely. And so I've had to learn different 
carriers and different regions, Medicare contractors, uh, and what they anticipate or what they tell us basically, right, is covered. And the 43239, for instance, the EGD with the, the biopsy, uh, the, esoph- the esophagastroduodenoscopy, uh, in one area, there isn't an LCD policy, a local coverage determination policy. But in Northwest Arkansas, in Novitas region, I do have one. So I have to constantly be aware when I'm training providers, looking at their specific region as to what they're uh, expected to know. <laughs> but educate your providers. Let them know there is a policy for this procedure. So give them some some tips, right? These are the main diagnoses that you see um, you know, their patients for, if you happen to see some come across that aren't getting paid, look at your policy and see, okay, is this on the policy? Is this a reason? Am I being too generic in my diagnosis? Remember, ICD-10 was brought on the scene because we weren't giving the information enough specificity. It was too generic, too broad. Abdominal pain is too broad, guys. It's too... um there's so many variables, right? So when it comes to abdominal pain, for instance, they have specific regions of the abdomen. So they want to know if it's upper or lower, which quadrant it's in. Um, and there are other GI conditions that are very specified to what part of the colon. Is it the large intestine or the small intestine? Even further into the colon, which is the large intestine, what part of the colon sometimes is very important. And then we have specific complications that can come into play. So we have to be further specifying the complication associated with that condition. So many variables. So we have to make sure we educate our providers on that documentation. And is it really medically necessary? The insurance company has their list that they deem medically necessary. If you don't agree, of course, you can appeal for the most part, but it may still be denied. They, of course, have the ability to deny if they don't feel it meets criteria. And some important tips that I wanted to highlight that I did some research on uh, is, of course, remembering uh, one of the things that's found in our NCCI manual is that control of bleeding isn't usually billed separately. There are times where we've seen GI uh, providers wanting to bill uh, the 43255 or the colonoscopy with control of bleeding, but watch your bundles. Normally what happens is, yes, they're in there, they're trying to stop the bleeding, and that's all they can do, right? And that's usually all they're going to bill for. But if they're doing something else during that and they try to control the bleeding, they're going to bundle that control of bleeding into that procedure because they anticipate while you're in there doing that procedure, you're not going to let them bleed, right? You're going to do it. (laughs) So that's part of you taking care of the patient. They're not going to let you bill it separately because it's it's medically necessary for you to do so while you're in there performing a biopsy or performing another procedure. So we want to be fair with our insurance companies and not expect more reimbursement than what we're actually doing and what we would normally do for a patient. Uh, Another thing I want to talk about is, of course, the screening uh, procedures. There is a difference between diagnostic and screening. What happens is, of course, a patient maybe has a history of colon cancer in the family or they have a history themselves. Maybe they've had polyps in the past or they've had some GI disease that warns them they're now high risk and so they need to have that high risk screening. Or some insurance companies do allow you to have a screening if you're at the age of 50 right at that point, you qualify to have your annual screening at no cost. And so there are things that we have to understand when it comes to reporting those. When it becomes diagnostic, 
and they actually have to do a, a therapeutic procedure. Um, and there, it's a diagnostic procedure to further investigate a symptom you're having. That's no longer a screening because you now have a symptom or you have a problem that's been investigated. There are things that we can do though, right? We have our modifiers going back to our modifiers that can identify to the insurance company that we have started our procedure as a screening. We didn't anticipate any problems. It was just routine. But while we're in there, we found something or we discovered something. So now we have to tell the insurance company with our PT modifier or our 33 for preventative services that it was started as a screening but became preventive, but became a diagnostic or therapeutic, right? And so when we apply that, we have to look at our insurance company guidelines. Some payers want our PT modifier, Medicare payers specifically. Some of our blues will now require the PT. And then our commercial payers, there are those that want the 33 modifier appended. Always be aware of their guidelines. One thing I always say is we never argue with an insurance company. You can read my recent blog on modifiers. You'll you'll see that. I really uh, stress that. We don't want to argue with them, especially if it's in their policy. Now, CPT has their own guidelines, and a lot of payers may follow those guidelines, but when they don't and they follow CMS, we have to follow those specific guidelines. And if it's in their policy, we read it, we try to interpret it, and maybe ask them, you know, we read this in your guidelines, how do you interpret this? Uh, How do we, of course, get this claim fixed? What do you need from us? And maybe you're not understanding the policy could be the reason. So you can ask maybe someone who does understand the policy, uh, like someone at the insurance, or maybe a supervisor or somebody else that you can reach out to that understands that specialty a little bit better and can interpret that policy statement or notation for you. And watch for, again, changes in the coding. Every year we have updates not only to CPT, but to ICD-10. And I briefly mentioned some of the specific um, additional items that we see. We see codes that include with or without. Um, Sometimes it includes abscess, bleeding, obstruction. All of these additional items that are bundled into a code are combination codes, right? So if you're new to ICD-10 coding, uh, you're learning this, right? The combination codes, when they make one code, right, to describe several things that are happening to the patient. And so we have to know when we have a combination code and when we do not. Uh, And if those combination codes, of course, are part of an LCD policy. And if it's medically necessary, according to the insurance then we do that, right? But what happens when we get denied? We've submitted our claim. We anticipate payment. We looked at our policies. We've looked at the coding guidelines and we have submitted our payment. What do we do? We get a denial. We just assume that it's right and we just move on. Not necessarily. We always want to investigate, right? Those denials. Uh, And maybe we need to look at, you know, we maybe misinterpreted a policy or maybe it's just those Um, insurance company uh, edits, right? Their system is designed to just filter out certain codes and deny, deny, deny. It happens. They will frequently deny things, especially if you have a 59 modifier attached. We don't want to be afraid of our 59 modifier because it is warranted uh, and we don't want to be afraid to use it if we're using it appropriately. If we can stand behind our use of these modifiers and we see a denial, we definitely want to investigate get out our operative report, read through it, find the notation in the op report that justifies the use of that. Was it a separate lesion? 
or polyp, for instance? Was it a separate incision? Was it a separate organ system or an unrelated organ to the one that we performed the procedures on? A lot of items can justify the 59 modifier. So always look at that. Look at the documentation. Do we do we need to maybe interpret it differently? Ask our provider, query them. Maybe we, we misinterpreted what they said. Uh, identify and resolve those issues as soon as possible. Remember, we don't want to get timely filing denials. We don't want to hold that documentation because we're not sure how to code it. That's one problem. When we get our denial, we don't want to hold it too long because the insurance, right, has their timely submission uh, guidelines. So we may have submitted it timely, but now we're up against a correction and we need to correct it timely because if we don't correct it, maybe within 120, 180 days, it's going to fully deny and we cannot report any revisions, any corrections, any longer, and we have lost our chance to get reimbursed, right? So let's avoid those. And do you have internal auditors that are auditing for you? Or, um, you know, do you get audits regularly? And do you respond to those requests from um, those individuals who are trying to audit and make sure that your documentation is securely um, you know, or properly documented? Have you left out pertinent information that could, of course, trigger you for an audit and things like that? So what is the true cost of avoiding or not avoiding these billing mistakes? Well, it costs money, doesn't it? It, inco- it costs money that the providers need to pay you as their coder to, and biller and to pay the office managers, to pay for supplies, to pay for the operating expense of their facility or for their clinic if they're privately um, having that in that facility themselves or if they're employed by the hospital. It costs the hospital money that they're losing uh, trying to reimburse their providers, Right. You need to know the high cost of healthcare, and you need to be able to understand that denials cost you money. Every claim that gets denied is money lost and money that can't pay for the expenses incurred uh, by performing that procedure. So there are studies out there that show the error rate for medical bills at a rate of 30 to 40%. Um, Some other rates that we see is up to higher to closer to 80 to 90% according to the Huffington Post. And another study showed that medical billing errors cost about $20 billion. Uh, And that is, of course, an astronomical amount of money to be lost. When we see the rising increase in the U.S. population, people that need medical services, especially now after the pandemic, we don't want to lose money when we have the increase in care that is course keeps going up. If we keep losing money, we're not going to be able to take care of those patients. And so we have to understand the bottom dollar, the bottom uh, issue here when it comes to reimbursement. So understand, you know, some of those billing mistakes we can make. They're just basic mistakes, right? Read your coding guidelines. Understand how this can affect your practice. Now, when it comes back to our colonoscopies, I just want to highlight a couple extra things. I'm not going into a full, you know, coding scenario here because I do have a webinar on colonoscopies coming later this year, Uh, but I want to educate um, everyone to understand, know your payer guidelines. That's the bottom dollar there. It's that's, that's it. Know the guidelines, know your payer, explain it to your patients. Colonoscopies, screenings don't have to be scary. They don't have to be confusing if we understand our payer policies. It's all about what they interpret it. We know the coding guidelines tell us how to bill them. The modifiers tell us, you know, which modifier to append. 
And our local coverage determination tells us which uh, diagnosis codes are appropriate and medically necessary according to the payer. So reach out to, of course, your, your billers, your coders, your office managers, even query your providers if needed. There is so much information out there, uh, so much help you can get from others in the field if you're struggling with your uh, GI billing. And reach out to us at Ozark Coding Alliance. We do offer consulting services for physicians uh, and for documentation and also for practices who need assistance with their backlog of their of their coding and billing. So reach out to us. You can contact me at admin at ozarkcodingllc.com or angel at ozarkcodingllc.com. If you need anything or need any questions you have about coding and billing and how you can learn more about GI coding. We thank you for listening today. It's been a pleasure to present this topic for you. It's always our goal to inspire and educate. And I always say knowledge is power. The knowledge you gain today makes you powerful tomorrow. Don't give up on coding, keep learning, and keep growing. This has been Jennifer McNamara with Life as a Coder. I want to thank you to our sponsors, Ozark Coding Alliance, LLC, and a special shout out to our podcast producer, Gabriel Fass with Highland Productions. We're so grateful for his expertise and his help in making us sound so great here at the Life as a Coder podcast. Until next time. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Life as a Coder podcast series brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance, LLC. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort. It helps us share the show with other coders, students, and professionals just like you. Come back every Monday for a new episode. We'll catch you then. Project Resume can make your medical coding dreams come true. From resumes to interview skills to navigating a successful career, Project Resume has the advice you need from coders you can trust. See all that we have to offer at projectresume.net. Be sure to reference this podcast when you place your order.